You're listening to The Bookstorian Podcast, a podcast for book lovers and bookstagrammers. Welcome to The Bookstorian Podcast. My name is Tegan, and on this episode, I chat with Irini from At Easy Reads. Firstly, we're going to talk about her bookstagram account, and then together deconstruct The Pull of the Stars by Emma Donoghue. And just a warning, there will definitely be some spoilers on this episode. Thank you for joining me today, Irini. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. No problems whatsoever. Uh, we are going to start today with a icebreaker question, so we get to know each other a little bit more. Our icebreaker question today is, what is a book set in your favourite time period? This is so tricky. Um, so I find that in terms, specifically with books, I always go for historical fiction, specifically World War II. Um, I think it's just such an interesting time period and also trying to really understand how they ended up in such a bizarre and horrible situation. So I really do find myself really immersed into novels in that uh, time period. So my favourite book in that time period would definitely be The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna, which is probably not an um, unpopular opinion. There's lots of people that absolutely love that book, but I really think it's for good reason. She beautifully just captures the essence of that time period, but more specifically, I guess, the females in that time period and their struggles and what they had to go through. So I really, really love that book and also reading about that time period. And I find I gravitate towards historical fiction as well. And when I was looking through your feed, we have so many books in common because we both like that genre. I also picked a book with a strong female protagonist. I picked this one because this was the first book that I really read in a historical fiction genre when I was probably towards the end of high school. And I am fascinated with Tudor England and that kind of medieval period. I find it so fascinating, the trivial things that happened during their lives and some of the major things that happened during our lives that are so different from us today. But then there are so many similar struggles that they follow with love and marriage and political issues that they have as well. So my favourite book is The Constant Princess by Philippa Gregory. And Amazing. Yeah, the, the... Protagonist is Catherine of Aragon, and I like this because it is also based off people who who did actually exist. The characters aren't aren't particularly fictitious. They actually are based on real women. And in particular, I like that this one starts with Catherine of Aragon as a young woman when she first is moves to England, and she actually marries who we know, King Henry VIII, she actually marries his eldest brother first. He dies. And then she ends up marrying Henry VIII. And then, of course, yeah, people who might know the story, she was actually Henry VIII's first wife and then was set aside for Anne Boleyn. So having her side of the story, I think, is really good. But Mm. then Philippa Gregory also has just an entire Tudor England swagger of books that are about the... We've got the other Berlin girl. And then, of course, we have a a whole wide range of books that go forward from that time and then a whole range of books that become before that time. So this was the first book I read in that sequence of books and love it. That's so awesome. I think, like, we so... Well, up until only recently, we didn't really get a good sense of strong female protagonists, especially in historical fiction in that genre. 
Um, so I guess just like backing off that, I've recently read Circe by Madeline Miller and that's based on um, Greek mythology and that I absolutely devoured that and completely love that. A, because I'm of Greek background. So for me, it was, I was hearing about all these male protagonists, strong leads, but from the point of view of Circe, who I had never heard of really, she, she's not a goddess that's spoken about a lot in Greek mythology. So even something like that, I was completely thrown in and completely loved. So it's interesting that I guess that's a genre that's come up and so many young females absolutely adore that genre as well. I, I find it quite intriguing that it's, it's about time that women's stories are told in a historical sense. And I think today I've been watching a few different Netflix series and it's also becoming a theme across what they seem to be doing at the moment as well. And there is a part of me at the moment that's actually starting to question were, we, were all of these women that we're hearing about, were they genuinely like that in the past mm-hmm. and their stories just weren't told? Um, or have things been spun for us to see in a different way? Absolutely. And I know, I guess we're probably going on a bit of a tangent, but I just also recently read Codename Helene and that was a huge point of contention whenever you read any other reviews about it. It was saying that um, in that particular novel, the author wrote her in a really sexualized way. But when you go in and you talk and you research who she is and how she presented herself, something as simple as her red lipstick for her was like her armor. And that I guess you kind of have to take who they were in time and place as well. So I guess something that might not seem as feminist maybe in today's day and age was actually, you know, the epitome of feminism back in, you know, the forties or the thirties. So it's, yeah, it's such an interesting, an interesting topic. I agree. I would like to now talk about your bookstagram account. So could you describe your bookstagram feed for me? Yeah, sure. I find that question so interesting because I probably don't really give my feed a whole heap of attention. I mean, at the moment, it's very green and outdoorsy just because the weather in Sydney has been awesome. So I've been taking all my photos outside and mum's spent a lot of time on her garden. So there's lots of plants around for me to to take my books in front of. Um, But if you do kind of scroll through, it, it does kind of morph and change probably dependent on the season um so in winter it was more indoors and darker colors and now it's just kind of sprung into a bit more vibrant greeny colors (laughs) i've seen that's something that a lot of bookstagrammers are talking about at the moment or sharing on their feeds that they change their layouts depending on the Mm. seasons so different backdrops might change or different types of props they use or change based on the seasons i find that quite interesting yeah. And you, you definitely have a lot of fresh, like plant-based images that come up. I quite like that. And I know one of the books that we talked about for a little while within one of your posts was the book that we're going to discuss today on the podcast, The Pull of the Stars by Emma Donoghue. And yeah. I, I think that's, that's really eye-grabbing, especially setting against a book such as this that has so much green on it. And then you have the lush leaves behind it. I think it was really beautifully done. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. You're welcome. Well, you're also engaged with books in a whole range of modes. So you're showcasing Mm. physical books, but also any eBooks that you're reading and your audio books as well. What inspires you to take those images of, of all the different modes of books you read? Yeah. So I, um, 
have recently, I guess, developed a love for audiobooks. Um, so I have spent a bit more time trying to listen to books, especially when I'm going for a walk or something like that. Um, and I guess something that's probably not really spoken about on Bookstagram is how tricky it is to actually take a photo of your phone or your iPad or anything that you're listening to an audiobook, particularly when you're outdoors, particularly when it's sunny. Um, your screen just goes all, there's all these lines and it's really, really tricky. So um, I guess when I'm taking the photos for my audiobooks, it is more on a practical sense. Um, so where the shade is, where there's not going to be heaps of shadow um, and where I can particularly focus on um, the actual image on the audiobook. So again, I, I am really enjoying taking photos outside. So I do try and take the photo of the audiobook outside probably in the later afternoon, just so that I do, I guess, get a better sense of, of where the sun is. And That's a really good tip because I find the same thing. And I've recently got into audiobooks again. I once upon a time used to have a 50 minute each way commute to and from work and used yes. to read audiobooks, but that was three years ago. And then suddenly this year, I, I've just had a resurgence of it. I think spending a lot more time at home doing chores or out in the garden or walking, it's really nice to have an audiobook, and it's also helped me absolutely smash my Goodreads goal for the year. Oh, me too. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good way to engage with books. And I find there's a few people lately I've also been trying to entice them to listen to audiobooks as a way of reading. Yeah, my eldest, my eldest brother has never been a reader. Um, and he's also really developed a love for audiobooks recently. So, and he loves historical fiction. So we're always comparing um, notes on our historical fiction reads. And I guess that's really lovely for me because that's something I've never been able to particularly connect with him on. Um, but now we can because he is spending that time in his way, being able to listen to those books and those stories, which I think is equally as important. And Another way to make connections with people who read books is, of course, through Bookstagram. Why did you decide to start a Bookstagram account? So I redeveloped my love for reading at the end or towards the end of last year. Um, so last year I did do um, a bit of reading, but towards the end of last year I was like, wow, I'm really enjoying this. It's been a while. I guess when you're at uni, it's a little bit tricky when you're spending all your time doing readings for class. You're not spending as much time reading uh, for leisure. So now that I was out of uni and working full time, um, I did go through the books that I had wanted to read um, and started churning through those. So I purely started my bookstagram, honestly, just as a means for me to keep track of the books that I was reading and to remember why I loved or disliked a particular book. And even just like giving myself a little synopsis about what it was about, particularly when you're reading through reading so many books, uh, it can be tricky to remember why you didn't like something or, or why you did. Towards the end of last year, I was reading a lot more chicly kind of books and they often follow a very similar storyline. So I guess getting the nuances of those in, in the reviews. As I was on the platform, I discovered the very big and wholesome community that Bookstagram is. Um, and so you'll see, I guess, if you look back at my very first reviews, they're a really tiny paragraph, whereas now I really um, spend time thinking about why I like a book. Just because other people, I guess, do read that and 
want to gain something for, from it. And I really love that I can provide or I have a platform that can provide an opinion that might be different to somebody else's or might also uh, be in line with somebody else's. I really like that you've mentioned you use it for kind of archival purposes for yourself. Mm. I think that's also a really good reference point and it's so easy just to find it by looking back at the cover. It could um, just come up in a conversation with someone one day like, oh, wait, there was this book I read the other day or a few months ago that I think you would really like and it's a really great reference point to have. Exactly. And that's honestly happened so many times this year. One of the books that we have connected together with is The Pull of the Stars by Emma Donoghue. This book is set in Ireland and it's during 1918 when there is an outbreak of what we now know to be the Spanish flu. Some fun facts about this book is that the publication date for this book was actually pushed forward because it was set during that flu pandemic of 1918. It's very similar to what we are experiencing in the world at the moment. The Spanish flu is estimated to have killed more people than the First World War itself, with three to six percent of the human race being killed. The author herself describes the work as a fiction pinned together with facts, and I think this is a really nice way of describing the book to others, especially as a work of historical fiction. Mm -hmm. And one of the characters that we meet is based on a real doctor. Her name is Dr. Kathleen Lynn. The other thing that I thought was quite interesting about this book that I would like to mention as well is the cover. I find the cover really intriguing. Yes, please tell me. Forest green colour screens island. And then with the yellow combo, I think it's beautiful how it stands out. It's a gorgeous, a gorgeous cover. I really, really love it. And what we were talking about uh, through our DMs today was that there are two different covers to this book. Mm-hmm. So one of them has our pocket watches on it. And yeah. the version that we have in Australia has American magpies on it. So I did a bit of sleuthing today and <laughs> I found that they're American magpies that feature on the cover of the book. Based in Ireland. And that's what I said to you as well. I was so confused about why the American magpie. I think the American magpie was probably chosen for aesthetics with the Mm -hmm. green colouring through it. And you can actually find the artwork from the Mary Evans Picture Library, which is attributed on the back of the book. So when I had a look into what magpies actually mean, and symbolisms behind magpies. So magpies themselves can be a symbol for good luck. Uh, They can indicate joy, love, or fortune, but it can also signify trickery and deception. Mm. So I thought, I mean, that might suit some of the characters of the book, but it still didn't quite resonate with me. There is another symbol that magpies can actually represent. It can be an obsession with the material world or about nurturing your spiritual path rather than that of the material world. I love that. Yeah. So what that then translates into is the idea that a magpie actually requests or loudly says, you need to be, you need to follow your true calling. So for me, Julia, who is our protagonist in this story, she herself goes along as her calling as a nurse. And I think it would be fair to say a lot of healthcare professionals probably feel that way, that caring for people is something that they find is their life calling. So we definitely see that with Julia. 
But the magpie also invites people to reevaluate their priorities and to move much further down the path that they're currently on. And that it's that whole idea about reaching your true potential. And we see at the end of the book that Julia not only still wants to be a nurse, despite the terrible conditions that she has to work under, but she also reevaluates her priorities by making that firm decision to adopt Barnabas and to yeah. really find her peace and to, to reach her potential within her calling. That mm, was the absolutely. very long-winded symbolism I think the magpies have on the book cover. That's awesome. I think um, the symbolism about, I guess, going towards your true calling is absolutely relevant to this novel. So that makes sense. I'm, I'm there for the American magpies now. I was a bit concerned, but I'm there for it. <laughs> I could have completely just gone down the garden path and been really wrong. You know what? It makes sense to us. That's all that matters. <laughs> so one of the other things about this book, besides its beautiful cover, is it actually has a really unusual pace and structure within the pages oh themselves. Yeah. What did you think about it? So I honestly, this is so different to anything I've read recently. Um, so I guess the book is broken up into four parts. And I think the symbolism of each of those parts is really telling. Uh, and I love that we were told the symbolism right at the start. So we weren't completely thrown by why each chapter or each part of the book was labelled as it was. The pace of it as well, my goodness, the chapters were long, really, really, really long. And at the end of each chapter, I personally felt like I was running a marathon and at the end of each chapter, I was just like, oh, I can now take a breath. And that is how I would assume Julia would have felt in those situations. So I thought that Emma Donoghue did a really, really great job, I guess, of structuring the book in that way. And I think that's really meant to communicate how Julia and how people who work within our healthcare industries feel during their day-to-day -day life at work that it just, there isn't a page break and there isn't a change of chapter every few mm. pages. They need to, they need to continually keep working and go with the ebbs and flows and the challenges that come across them in their everyday life. And that's so clever um, in terms of, I guess, making the reader go on that journey as well. It's not often that as a reader, you're actually thrown into, I guess, how it would feel to be one of the characters. Um, I mean, we can all have empathy and sympathy, but when you're reading that book and you're like, my goodness, I need to get to the end of the chapter before I can breathe, that is really telling. So I, th I thought it was a really, really clever, clever thing that um, she did for this novel, yeah. And I sometimes think it's just a habit that I have that I'll, I'll almost put the bookmark at the end of a chapter. So I've got a little goal and I'm like, right, I know I need to, I'm going to read 20 pages and then I've got a chapter break and I can go hang out the washing or whatever else mundane thing there probably is I need to do. And with this book, I couldn't do that. It felt like yeah. as soon as I pick it up, I need to be in for the long haul. Absolutely. My goodness. And I also, I was okay with the lack of quotation marks. Um, I really love Sally Rooney and I really loved Girl, Woman, Other as well, which are both an author and another novel that don't have quotation marks. So for me, I guess was accustomed to it, but I can understand how that can be quite jarring for someone. But if you do push through that, the novel definitely has a pace and a rhythm and it's almost like poetry in that it just flows from line to line. So 
Um, I urge anyone that did pick it up and struggle just to, I guess, go through it and even read it out loud so that you do get that pace until um, you pick it up and then you can keep going with it. And I think too, you kind of forget once you sit in and you're, you're reading for a few pages, you, you forget that the speech marks aren't there. I, I found after reading this book, I started to sort of scratch my head and I was like, why do authors not put speech marks there? And so I'm a teacher and <laughs> with like English or any kind with of work, the bones. <laughs> yeah, it's like, there's no speech marks. So I had to go, I had a little look into why authors decide not to use speech marks because it is a de- very deliberate punctuation choice. And what I found is that some authors choose not to use speech marks when they are writing. One particular suggestion for this, the author themselves are making that character up. So they don't want it to appear as if that person actually lived and breathed and said those words. They make the choice to eliminate that. Now, I'm not sure whether that's why Emma Donoghue um, or some of the other books and authors that you've mentioned have done the same thing, but that was the best fit that I could find that made sense to me. I always interpret it, or particularly, again, for the novels that I've read, I interpret it more as, I guess, the these characters are so true to themselves, so their thoughts and their thinking almost translates exactly as to what they say. Um, so they're not particularly hiding anything, but both definitely apply. I think it's really important uh, if an author wants to demonstrate that their character is fiction and that's their means of doing so, and therefore it. I think it's really great. Uh, yeah, I completely agree. Whatever it, whatever reason it's for, you eventually forget that they're meant yeah. to be there anyway. <laughs> we have had a, a pretty incredible year so far with COVID and there definitely are some similarities to the global pandemic that is happening at the moment and this book. So much so that this book was actually rushed to publication. Are there any moments that reflect how you're feeling at the moment that happened within mm. the book? Yeah, absolutely. I'm just going to start with the difference first, but something I really, really want to raise was I really loved the way Donahue really captured time and place. Um, she, I think, teleported the reader completely back into Ireland and into that era. And you were there with those women and you were on board um, and you were there for all the gory details. And I guess probably part of that can definitely be translated today. I mean, some of those some of those issues that were talked about in the book still are are prevalent in today's society. We're talking about women in the workforce, um, miscarriages, struggle, and they're all things I think that definitely translate, I guess, into the pandemic. There was one particular scene where Julia is getting on the train and she's um, stepping away from the people that are sick. Although she had been sick, so she was immune, but she was just cautious of everyone else that was sick around her. And I remember probably towards the beginning of the pandemic when all the restrictions and all the information was coming at us every day and there was new information every day and we didn't know what to believe. We didn't know who to trust. We were so confused. And I walked outside and it was the most apocalyptic feeling ever. People were walking around with masks. Nobody was walking anywhere near each other. You'd be lucky if you saw three or four people on the street anyone that coughed, you could see heads turned and everyone was, you know, quick to judge. Um, So I think that's definitely something that's translated across from the novel, I guess, in today's society. 
Yeah, I loved that quote, the same one that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read a little section of it for our listeners. Awesome. It reads, a man's explosive cough on the bench behind me, then another, hack, hack, a tree being axed with too small a blade. The mass of bodies leaned away. That ambiguous sound could be the start of the flu or a convalescence lingering symptom. It could signify the harmless common cold or be a nervous tick, caught like a yawn just by thinking about it. But at the moment, this whole city was inclined to assume the worst. And no wonder. I have goosebumps. She just beautifully captures probably exactly how they felt at that time and also completely how we feel um, at the moment as well. I thought there was also a beautiful line about hope. I've, I've got it written here as well. Yeah, right. <laughs> if we're talking about the same one, it's, and one of these days, even this flu will have run its course. Really, Mary O'Reilly asked, um, how can you be sure? The human race settles on terms with every plague in the end, the doctor told, told her, or a stalemate at least. We somehow muddle along sharing the world with each new form of life. I thought that was so beautiful and so telling because I guess we're just creatures on this earth as well. And it really captured that we will either learn to live with as with whatever, I guess the situation is as it is, or um, we will come out of it stronger and reformed. We will have new technology always comes out of situations like this, which I think is really amazing as well. It was the, it was the words I needed to hear at the time. Me too. Me too. Definitely. I actually think I would honestly recommend anyone to read this at the moment. I think it's not, it's not too jarring in that um, you're going to be scared, I guess, to read the novel. If anything, I really came out of this with a lot of hope and it really encapsulated that yes, humans do struggle and we will struggle through this, but we will also come out of it um, stronger and better as well. And I think what you, you've just said is also the reason why I read historical fiction. You learn so much about the past. And even though I know whenever you read a historical fiction book, you know to some extent that the author has taken some liberties because they are also trying to tell a story and keep a plot line going. But there are these beautiful times in the book that allows you to reflect on the past and allows you to realise that humans have been living and existing for thousands of years and yet we are still here and we still get up and we still go to work no matter what's going on in the world. So I think that that's why historical fiction is a really powerful genre. And especially if it's not a genre people normally read, it's, this is something in particular that everyone could get something from. Absolutely. And I think it's also important to note, like Julia was quite cynical in parts of this book. She, as, as a nurse was like, my goodness, some of the information that's coming is ridiculous. I have another quote here that says the line I found most laughable was the one about lying down for a fortnight who could afford or manage that without a house house full of servants. And I think even something like that is so important and translatable to how we're trying to survive during the pandemic. Now, I mean, in Australia, we're quite lucky that we've had, job keeper and job seeker up until now but you know in so many other parts of the world the economy is really taking a hit and people are really struggling and they do have to go to work and they don't know how they can stop work if they are sick or if they do have you know the coronavirus so I think that really for me hit home as well. 
Yeah. And that there's so, there's just so many beautiful quotes throughout the book that beautifully capture how, how we're feeling or there's just many parallels to what's going on in the world. What did you think about the ending of the book? I feel like there's, there's so much. For me, the last chapter was probably just 30 pages too short. It moved so quickly. So she gets sick and then you're there for the journey. She goes through each of those stages. So red, brown, blue, and black. And you're there going through the stages with her, but it just felt like it was moving way, way, way too quickly for me. I just needed an extra 20 or 30 pages for it to really sum up quite nicely. And I think that last chapter is probably the shortest chapter out of all of them. I did love that they found each other and they expressed their love for each other. And that definitely took me, I guess the love interest part took me by surprise. I definitely knew that they had that bond and that they would, they were definitely special to each other and that they were trying to impress each other. Um, So I did love the extra little twist that, that they did kiss. I was, 100% on board with that. I absolutely love that. Um, But when she did get sick, I thought it just moved too quickly and we didn't get enough of a chance to really understand how Julia was feeling in that moment. Um, So I do wish that we just got a little bit more from that. Yeah, the love story that suddenly threaded itself in was very unexpected. And I also think it is what Julia needed to happen to her to then power on with what continues to happen at the end. I would describe the ending as like heartbreakingly tragic, yet Mm. beautiful. So the protagonist, Julia, she goes through so much in such a concentrated time with losing many of her patients and whether that be grown women or, or teenagers, some of them were, all the ba- all babies, and then to also lose Bridie as well. But then there comes this sort of strong message of hope when mm. she makes that really sudden decision to take Barnabas home and adopt him to prevent him yeah. from going into one of the institutions. I mm-hmm. thought that felt so out of character for her to, to take on a, a child. But I also think that she had her brother in mind and that having a baby around the house perhaps is something that could be quite healing to her brother who we, we know was experiencing well, what they called then shell shock, but what we now know is PTSD. Yeah. I've also thought it was really um, interesting how in just three days, um, cause the book's only, only written over the course of three days, we, had such a strong sense of the characters and what they were like at their core. So like you said, I guess it did feel really out of character for Julia and we only knew her for three days, but it did feel so out of character for her to adopt Barnabas. And also I guess for Bridie, just she was so young and it was so heartbreaking to see her fall ill, but also that was in essence her character and her will. She was always, she was always going to do what she did and she was always on board with helping Julia. I thought it was really beautiful. And I loved that, I guess, we got a sense of Julia's brother, but it didn't delve too much into who he was and what he was and, I guess, how he came to be where he was. She really just captured, I guess, the story in those three days and only gave us that snippet, which I thought was really, really beautiful and really unusual, particularly with historical fiction, because normally you get, you know, years of a story or at least months of a story. Whereas here we only get a really special three days. 
it was almost as if with the brother we were kind of expected to fill in a lot of the blanks with mm. knowledge that we might have already had about World War One and the fact that the star of this was meant to be the the pandemic and how it affected pregnant women. So the it was sort of a secondary story along the way about the war that we were kind of needed to fill in the blanks and colour it in as it went. And I guess backing on that, like the war, what we understand about the war isn't new, whereas what we understand about the pandemic and how they managed particularly these pregnant women is new and that's what makes the story so unique. I agree. And one of the other things I thought was really unique about the story was at the very end in the author's notes, Emma actually thanks our healthcare workers And the midwives who saved so many mothers' lives and their babies. I read so many different historical fiction stories that have midwives in them. Because I find it quite intriguing. I I don't have any children, but I find it quite interesting to learn about midwifery and Mm. the history of it. Because it was so slow to progress. But it was something that women held tight for so long. And this particular book to have read about midwives, but to also get to the end and have a, have a thank you to them. I thought was really well done too. Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Her author's note gave me goosebumps. It was so beautifully written as well. And even though I got to the end of the story and I was like, Oh, okay, done. (laughs) And sometimes I find I don't read the author's notes because I'm just Mm. so keen to be done with the book. But this one I've, I needed to know a little bit more about the story and yeah I'm glad I spent that extra few minutes reading the author's notes before I put it down. Yeah me too I thought the the length of the book was really good as well it was it really made it a quick read but really engrossed the reader as well yeah. I feel like we really captured the novel in its essence and at its core and I think it was such a beautiful book and I'm so glad that they actually pushed forward the publication because I think it, it was really interesting and um, pulled the heartstrings, particularly during this time. So like I said earlier, I urge anyone to pick it up now and, and read it during this time period. Definitely. I would echo everything you just said then. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been awesome. You have been listening to the Bookstorian podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen and follow me on Instagram at the Bookstorian podcast. 